0: House of Cards by Rosa Luxemburg 13th of January 1919 On smoking ruins, amidst pools of blood and the corpses of murdered Spartacists the heroes of order are rushing to consolidate their rule anew. The Ebert government arouses itself convulsively in order to entrench its power. From now on it will rule by the bayonet. Fully in the manner of the Caesars Ebert stages reviews of his troops and addresses them. In sight of the dead and wounded lying on the streets of Berlin, he passes on the thanks of the government to the brave soldiers and entrusts them with the task of protecting the National Assembly with their weapons. In his order of the day of 11th of January, the Supreme Commander Nosker takes up the old and well-known refrain of Hindenburg, von Kessel and all the lackeys of the Hohenzollern regime. In the east, armed bands of Spartacists and Khans are plundering one house after another. The last mask that this is supposedly a political movement has fallen. Robbery and plunder have revealed themselves to be the ultimate and sole goal of the rebellion. The patience of the government is exhausted, and now the heavy artillery and machine guns are to have their say. The unity of the working class must succeed against the Spartacists. Concludes the blood stained upstart. This is how the Scheidemanns hope that with the material help of the counter-revolutionary military and the moral support of the bourgeoisie, they will be able to establish anew the governmental powers over the corpses of Berlin's revolutionary workers. But there is a flaw in this calculation. The military and the bourgeoisie, who today help Ebert Scheidemann out of the mess they are in, want to enjoy the fruits of the bloody harvest themselves. These elements wanted to support the socialist government only as long as they were able to believe that they could hold the proletarian masses in check by waving a counterfeit banner and could strangle the revolution and socialism by moral influences. The last week has ripped open the gaping abyss between the Ebert government and the revolution. Today it is clear that Ebert Scheidermann can rule only by means of bayonets. But if that is the case, then the bayonets will also want to rule without Ebert Scheidermann. The bourgeoisie will not make do with half-measures. It is calling for the open proclamation of the dictatorship of the sabre, for the complete restoration of the old order. The right place for the rebels is in front of a court-martial or in prison, cries the Taglischer Rundschau until it is hoarse, and they do not deserve to be at liberty. The restoration of peace, the restoration of order, must be carried out down to the last detail. The police, which has hardly existed since the 9th of November, must be restored to their previous strength and their previous importance. The police force must be armed again and be accorded full powers. At the same time, The leader of the Noska Guards, Colonel Reinhardt, declares he will impose martial law. He doesn't have to take orders from anybody, not even from the government. He is a soldier, and it is up to him alone to make decisions. And the 3rd Guards Regiment declares at its own initiative that it is determined to bring about, through force of arms, the National Assembly. In Berlin and its suburbs, officers are carrying out arrests on their own authority. Thus does the counter-revolutionary officer corps rebel against the Ebert government and makes clear to it that matters were meant to be the other way around. Ebert Scheiderman were to save the bourgeoisie, not the bourgeoisie save Ebert Scheiderman. If it comes to the point that the bourgeoisie must save the socialist government from the revolutionary working class, then it is game over then the bourgeoisie will decide, and not without good reason, that it has more capable candidates for the dictatorship of the Sabre than the upstarts Eber and Noska. On the third side, the party of Hasse is seeking to use the crisis in order to create a coalition government of all socialist tendencies, in line with Hasse's fig-leaf politics of drowning all the internal contradictions of the revolution in an undifferentiated hodgepodge. Concealing all conflicts and dissolving the masses' readiness to struggle in a rotten compromise. Only the compromise leaders, Ebert, Scheidemann, Landsberg, Nosker, must leave the scene. Only a change of personnel should take place while the policies of Scheidemann will continue to steer the course, and all socialist tendencies should form a joint government on the basis of those policies. In view of the corpses of murdered proletarians, in view of the bloody orgies of the Scheidemans, the Spartacists today, even far more so than ever in the past, have only scorn and a clenched fist for this wretched policy of compromise and betrayal of the revolutionary cause. This means that the expression used by the Hassa people, the coalition of all socialist tendencies, really amounts to the earlier, well-known combination of the Scheidermans and the Independents. The re-establishment of the ebert a government but with new names, that is all the great unity palaver of the USPD amounts to. And the more vehemently Ebert Scheideman are abused today in Freiheit, so all the more, surely, is the shameful collapse of the USPD being prepared behind the spurious cannonade. Despite all the lessons which it has been taught, and although it has already been compelled to abandon on the 28th of December the partnership with the Scheidemans, the USPD simply wants to return to this partnership, albeit with different names, at the top table. The current crisis therefore gives rise to three combinations. Ebert Schiedemann wants to preserve the status quo, their own rule, based on the bayonets of the bourgeoisie. The USPD wants to turn the clock back to the 9th of November to an ebert hassa government but under a different name. The bourgeoisie at last wants to change things to the way they were before the 9th of November, to a straightforward dictatorship of the sabre. All three combinations are houses of cards, simply by virtue of the fact that all three of them amount to stages which have already been overtaken and superseded. The revolution does not allow itself to be turned back and recast in an earlier form, neither as it was on the ninth of November, and even far less so as it was in the wonderful times before the ninth of November. And just as little can it be trapped in a dead end in the shadow of Ebert's sceptre. The entire political meaning and historical content of the crisis of the last week lies precisely in the fact that the revolution is driven forwards by virtue of its inner strength and logical development, because what is involved is the serious matter of the conquest of power by the proletariat and the achievement of socialism, whereas the factors holding back its development continue to seek to block its advance. Even if the use of brute force allows these hostile forces to win the upper hand for the moment, they are completely powerless to prevent the further development and triumphal advance of the revolution. And the clearest expression of that is the fact that not a single combination capable of lasting any length of time can be established on the ruins of this week. Whatever may emerge tomorrow or the following day as a result and as a resolution of the crisis, it will be a short-term measure, a house of cards. If the naked violence of machine guns or the ambiguity of the deception practised by the USPD gain the upper hand, then, after only the shortest period of time, the primeval forces of the revolution, the economic struggles, will put an end to all these calculations. Again and again, the revolution will place on the agenda the basic problem, the overall reckoning between labour and capital. And this reckoning is a world historical conflict between two mortal enemies which can be fought out only in a long struggle for power, eye to eye and chest to chest. The rubble and the corpses of the most recent episode will hardly have been carried away, then the revolution will again take up its untiring day-to-day work. The Spartacists will continue to go their way with unshakable resolve. The number of their slain increases with every week, but the number of their supporters increases a hundredfold. During the state of siege they faced in the war years, they filled prisons and the jails. Under the socialist government of Ebert Scheidemann, they filled the graves in Friedrichshain Cemetery. But the proletarian masses rally in ever greater numbers around the banner of merciless revolutionary struggle. Individual layers of the proletariat may be momentarily intoxicated and taken in by the demagogy and the phrase-mongering about unity. But tomorrow, after new disappointments and after the intoxication has waned, all the more resolutely and loyally will they stand by the only party which knows no compromises and no vacillations. Which proceeds looking neither to the right nor to the left, and without counting the dangers and the numbers of the enemy along the way which history has mapped out for it until victory, original kartenhauser, de Rotterfana. number thirteen thirteenth of January, nineteen nineteen translation Stan Crook.